Rachel Needle from Talking With Tech. And I'm Chris Bouguet from Talking With Tech. We have a podcast dedicated to augmentative and alternative communication, all things related to helping kids with complex communication needs. If you have a passion for helping people with language disabilities, this is the show for you. Each episode features an interview or a roundtable discussion on a topic related to augmentative communication and helping people with language disabilities. And we're really passionate about giving practical strategies to clinicians working in the field who are working with children or adults, anything related to AAC. So you can look us up on iTunes or you can find us on Facebook. We've got a group over there or check out our website at bit.ly slash TWT podcast. Please join our community of professionals that are working to ensure that everyone can say whatever they want to say, however they want to say it. Please listen carefully. What is communication? An essential behavior of life. We have the both blessing and responsibility of trying to foster another. It's the strongest way for two people to convey information to each other. Communication is a lifeline. It's just connection with other people. Connecting people in terms of ideas, thoughts, or needs. Draws us out of ourselves, draws us into that relationship, you know, builds up our families without it being lost. Whatever it is that we do to express intent and achieve an impact. Communication is the ability to express your needs, wants, frustrations, and desires to anyone that you feel needs to have that information. Welcome to Speech Science, episode 95. We are proud members of the Exceptional Podcast Network. I'm Matt Hot, joined, as always, around the country by Michelle Wintering. How's it going, Matt? I'm good. How are you, Michelle? Doing well, thanks. And out in Philadelphia, Michael McLeod. What's up, buddy? How are you, man? I'm doing great. We want to know how you are at home, so make sure you always check us out online, speechsciencepodcast.com. That'll take you to all of our friends over at XBN. You can also find us at patreon.com slash speechsciencepodcast or online and email speechsciencepodcast at gmail.com. Give us a phone call, 614-681-1798. Or last week, Michael and I set up a Discord, and it's a weird link, so it's on our Facebook and in the below link notes michelle michael have you ever used discord before i haven't a lot of my students are really into it so i've i've learned a lot about it recently i think it's uh, actually very very cool uh it's a very uh very quick way to communicate and message with with friends in a group so it's definitely uh it definitely seems like a pretty positive uh social networking app yeah, so I need to download this. I don't have this app. Correct. So we are on Discord now, so anyone can contact us and get a hold of us 24-7 any way they want to. Guys, it has been a... <laughs> Michelle, Thanks your face. That. You're like, I don't know if I want to answer phone calls 24-7. It's a text-based. It's not phone calls. Guys... <laughs> I don't have a poker face. Guys. No, not at all. Guys, this week, the episode we are... this will Last week, when this airs, we will be gone through Halloween. And I don't have a story about anything for myself, but I do have a question for you guys. Have you ever heard of Spookly the Square Pumpkin? I have, yes. Okay, so my question on this, you have or have not, Mike? Have Definitely have not. Okay, so Spookly, the square pumpkin, uh, he's a square pumpkin, and everyone kind of doesn't like him because he's not a square pumpkin, or because he's not a pumpkin and round, but then he saves the day and keeps the other pumpkins from drowning. And then the farmer picks him up, spoilers, and picks him because he's unique. Now, here's my question. It's also slightly comical for everyone that has children that has to watch these type of shows. 
His reward for being the most unique pumpkin and saving the other pumpkins from being drowned is the farmer put him on his porch and then put a light inside of him, which means in my demented Halloween brain, Spookly's head was removed. They removed all of his brains and guts, cut a hole in his <laughs> face, and then put a light in there as a gruesome reminder to the other pumpkins never to be special. <laughs> is the, the moral supposed to be that he got this prize at the end, though, right? Right, right. The prize was to <laughs> have your insides scooped out. He became out. a jack-o'-lantern, yep. Like, that is the most morbid. He like, died. Yeah. <laughs> That's the... Right. And his insides were probably turned into pumpkin juice or like pumpkin pie. Just that's how my week has been. Somebody, Michael, how's your week been? Have you thought about the uh, desensitization of children against our pumpkin friends? I have not. Uh, <laughs> I've been I've been eating lots of uh, pumpkin things. But besides really? that, I yeah, of course, of course, it's it's pretty hard to uh, to avoid at this time of year. But He's I've kind very of been. Basic. That's right. I'm very basic. I'm a, I'm a basic kind of guy. Uh, but I yeah. support it. We're good. <laughs> but yeah, overall, other Halloween stuff. I'm not really, not really into Halloween. Not my kind of, not my kind of holiday. You're not into Halloween. Mm -mm. I love. And Halloween. our guest host. Is... Yeah. If you hear in the background, my son is happy because he found the Guess Who Poo book. Uh, he no, didn't find Spookly. No, no Spooklies. He that was on TV. Michelle, how has your week been? Hey, my 15-month-old is dressing up as an avocado. So I'll send you a picture because that's great. It's one of his favorite foods, so it seemed fitting. And, uh, Did you say he's 15 having... months already? Yeah, he's almost oh 16 months. Look at that. Um, yeah, just had his appointment and shots today. I feel like he gets shots all the time, but yay to prevent disease. Woo! Yay! <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, we're doing well. Work is going well. And just working through those fall colds right now. You can tell I'm a little nasally. Yeah, this is the time of year where you can't tell if it's terrible allergies or cold because during the day it's 60, maybe 70, and at night it's 25 degrees outside. Hey, have you guys ever heard of speaking of like fall viruses uh, of a viral rash of getting a viral rash? My son last week on Wednesday, I'm talking all over his body, hives <gasps> all over, kept moving all over his body. And thankfully, we have a neighbor who is our pediatrician who <laughs> I made him look at him and it's it's viral. It's because of the cold he has. Wow. Isn't that crazy? That, that is crazy. Because it, it looked scary. Like, I was ready to take him to urgent care if we needed to. But, yeah. Anyway, so any parents out there, apparently more than just strep can give a viral rash. Huh. Well, that's something wow. new that I'm now terrified for my son. It's great. I, it him. doesn't hurt them, though. That's the best part. Oh, really? It's not painful for him. Yeah. Oh. Well, if you've got that or know of your kids have that or have an opinion <laughs> on spookly the square pumpkin or your love or not love of halloween we want to know speech science podcast.com speech science podcast at gmail.com or give us a phone call 614-681-1798 or hit us up on the hashtags ss pod on today's episode michelle you had an opportunity to talk about assessing through telepractice I did. I had a chance to interview uh, Kristen Martinez, who works has worked for about a decade for Presence Learning. Uh, you can find more at PresenceLearning.com, but they are a provider of teletherapy in the schools. Oh, I look forward to that. 
Also, we're going to talk about uh, the importance of learning while playing. We will also dive into a little bit about how much or how little do uh, school-based SLPs push in during therapy and the importance of drinking water. I feel like we didn't. Which one should I we thought you weren't going to do that one. Okay. I thought you weren't going to do water. Nope. Wasn't going to do water. We'll save that one for next week. I confuse myself because we only normally is, have four articles. It is important and we have five. Yes. Drink water. Drink water. Should I'm doing do it now. Be a hydro homie. So um, if you take anything away from this podcast tonight. <laughs> so yeah, no, drink water. we're not drinking water on this podcast. No, well, yes. Drink water on this podcast. Also, we're going to talk a little bit out of the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. Uh, their research on uh, equine therapy for ADHD and autism. But first, started off with out of the Wyoming Public Media website. Would more student support keep special education students out of the juvenile justice uh, system? Uh, they talk about in the article about how walking through the juvenile center or services center in Cheyenne, uh, they talk about how. A lot of the students that are located in there have some version of special education background or IEP uh, somewhere on their caseload or, or, or I guess in their school history. Guys, how important is it that we get some of these students that early intervention that we need? Because it is true. Some of our students will end up in juvenile courts and juvenile jail systems. I mean, I, I was trying to scroll through this article because I didn't get to read it before we started uh, the conversation, but it makes sense to me <laughs> that potentially more supports or catching that early intervention would would decrease some of the, the at-risk behaviors or at-risk needs. And not just speech intervention, but you could throw in other therapies as well. Yeah, we talk all the time about uh, low-income families and uh, students on the lower end of the economic scale uh, being left off of early intervention services and not getting the services they need. And uh, it's really a recurring theme of what we're always talking about on this podcast are, are sort of these populations and how they're separated by socioeconomic status. And this further kind of goes along uh, that's that, that exact same theme of these students who are not getting the services uh, are at higher risk for these types of uh, difficulties later in life. Uh, so I think this is just a, another small piece of the larger puzzle here. Obviously, speech and language services can improve not only speech and language, but obviously it trickles down to overall quality of life and your ability to communicate and communicate effectively and positively. But I think this really is just a... a a much small, tiny little piece of the larger issue here, which is a recurring theme of something you've heard on this podcast over and over and over again. And the stats show, we know that just based on numbers, that the lower socioeconomic um, status that you come from, you have a higher likelihood, or we can look at the numbers of people in prison to see where they came from. And then this article even talked about, they looked at half of Wyoming school districts, that 40% of incarcerated students had an IEP. So that's almost half. So 10 of the responding districts had no incarcerated students and nine had one incarcerated student, but in all, in all but one case, those students had IEPs. Wow. And that's just the ones who've been identified. 
And you guys, right? right. And you guys may have mentioned this, and I apologize. My son was eating Play-Doh, and I had to run out of the room to go fix that. But this also leads into, uh, we've seen it here in Ohio, the rise of trauma-informed care or trauma-informed approach, as they mentioned in the article, where we weigh the importance of all the baggage the kids are bringing into school. I saw a really cool presentation where they took like canned goods and just put them into a backpack. And like each canned good represented something at home, single parent or both parents working, not, you know, no food for breakfast, no, no money for lunch, all this other stuff. And all of a sudden this backpack besides the book now weighs like 55 pounds or something crazy that they did with these cans. And it was just a visual representation of all the weight these kids bring in to school and not even talking about how does this kid lash out? Is this kid going to thump another kid because of all this extra weight they've got on their back going into the school day? So, oh no, I thought it was an important article. Definitely. I'd love to hear some feedback from listeners. Speech on that one. Speechsciencepodcast.com. Give us a phone call, 614 681 1798, or email us, speechsciencepodcast at gmail.com. Michelle. Yes. This article is made just for you. Oh, thanks, Matt. University of Nebraska Lincoln. Uh, they are looking at the benefits of equine therapy as a way to help relieve stress and social anxiety from people with autism and ADHD. I know nothing yeah. about equine therapy, but Michelle, you are level one hippo therapy trained? Right. Yeah. And they actually in this in this article they mention um equine facilitated learning for people. Uh and then there's special kinds of equine therapy and what they're referencing there when you work with the license specifically SLP, PT, or OT, that is what's called hippotherapy. Uh, and so that's the training I went through is specifically for us or PTs or OTs. But um they also have equine facilitated therapy or even counseling, um, which is kind of a different category. I haven't been trained on that, obviously, for, with a licensed medical professional, mental health professional. Yeah. There you go. Very cool. So so you've done this type of therapy before? Um, I have, yeah. In, uh, in El Paso, I volunteered um, doing some speech therapy and then helping with equine facilitated therapy and learning groups at um, a place called Compadres Therapy. Shout out to Joy Ferguson in El Paso, nice. Texas. Nice. Yeah. And what and what were, was the skill level of these kids? Uh, wide variety. So we had really young kids who had never been on a horse before. So um, and it's not always on the horse. So a lot of especially when they're doing the mental health piece. Um, like we had a psychologist who would come out and work with individuals there. Uh, it's a lot of off the horse and even grooming the horse and taking care of the horse. And then you can throw in language, um, you know, language practice for kids with sequencing, learn the steps mm -hmm. of brushing, um, multiple step directions, <laughs> all these different things that you can do. I, one of my favorite patients was a post-stroke patient in her seventies who I worked with, wow. um, with a PT as well. So we, uh, we tag teamed for that one. And what were some of the uh, benefits you saw from this? Um, well, they kind of touch on it in this article too, uh, because they're looking at heart rate and anxiety with kids here. So that kind of research, there is already research to show that in the equine therapy world of um, horses have a slower heart rate than we do, for example, so that our heart rate actually automatically lowers when we're around them. 
Um, so they slow down our, our breathing rate and our heart rate often. Uh, so that is pretty cool to begin with because it can be such a relaxing thing to be around animals and especially horses. Um, and then also you're, you're taking kids kind of like what you do, Mike, but you're, you're taking kids out of that four walled therapy. A lot of Mm -hmm. times kids who've been in therapy for years and they need, they need a change or they get therapy in a different way and it can make a big difference. So, um, I saw kids who they, they forget that they're doing speech therapy because it's motivating externally in other ways and internally for, for them because they just want to be there. They want to be around the horses. They have their favorite horse. Um, but then also you can co-treat pretty easily because um, I felt like I learned a lot from the OTs and PTs because um, you've got to be supporting that <laughs> if they're physically doing these tasks. And then you have the bilateral tasks, cognitive tasks. Um, all different things that they can be doing to support uh, all three PTOT and speech. You know, therapy. Believe, oh, sorry, Mike. I was just going to say, I believe the great uh, Temple Grandin was really into the uh, to this type of therapy. I believe, correct? Um, I don't. I don't know enough if she if she did. She was in- uh, the horse therapy, but I know she does. She's an animal behaviorist. That's her. Okay. Um, her specialty was um, developing. I'm pretty sure it was the cattle. Mm-hmm the slaughterhouses because um they're they've shown that a less stressed cow for example is better meat mm-hmm. right yeah so and they don't die by stressing themselves out right. yeah stressing out so she actually designed um slaughterhouses uh to be the least stressful for the animal like the most humane which by the way yeah. uh if you watch the movie and then go to any like cattle farm and see that a lot of places still don't do the teaching she did and you feel kind of bad you're like oh my gosh all these cows are going to be going to be stressed but you know i mean i love the idea of what you said michelle where the the kids forget that they are in speech therapy Mm -hmm. uh there's nothing more aggravating than going to an iep and the kids like i don't go to speech i go to this guy and we read newspapers all week and it's like you know what i'm okay with that that you think that's all we're doing Mm -hmm that you know we're talking about world issues at your level but you know i I think that's really cool and i think it's transferable to a lot of things definitely we want to hear about you and your choice of therapy animals or mammals i guess speech science podcast.com horses or mammals right they got hair they are yeah okay good (laughs) i said that and y'all didn't say anything and i was like oh did i just out myself as an idiot i was busy drinking my my fluids (laughs) like we talked about give us a phone call 614-681-1798 email speech science podcast at gmail.com or give us a hashtag on twitter or instagram hashtag ss pod after the break michelle what do we got Oh, after the break, the interview? Yeah, 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 the interview. Oh, cool. Interview with um, a woman from Presence Learning. She's out of Colorado, but she has worked for Presence Learning for 10 years. It's on teletherapy. And then we'll look a little bit at a randomized trial of serious games as a tool for word mastery and the implementation of push-in therapy. You're listening to Speech Science. Do you have an idea for a product or book? Or are you ready to go beyond in-service presentations? Well, how do you get started? And what if you don't have any business experience at all? Well, I have some great news for you. 
I'm Mailing Chan, and I'm getting the nitty-gritty stories from parents, teachers, therapists, advocates, and people with disabilities who have created successful businesses, and they're sharing their intimate stories with you. Listen to us on the Exceptional Leaders Podcast and fast-track creating and building and sharing your idea with the world so that you can help more people. Welcome back to Speech Science. This is Michelle. Have you ever thought about doing teletherapy? Well, today I'm here with Kristen Martinez. Did I say that correctly? Yes, you did. Wonderful. From Presence Learning. And we will have actually three segments of our interview on a few different podcasts with Kristen, uh, breaking down information on the growing area in the speech pathology field of teletherapy for SLPs. And today it is all about starting. So... Kristen, let's see. We'll backtrack first. Um, your company, Presence Learning, reached out to us about um, coming on the podcast, which we love to hear from any listeners. And what, you know, what, we'll start there. Why did you reach out to us? So we are, so Presence Learning is the, really one of the um, original companies doing really uh, school-based teletherapy services. So um, we are at 10 years right now, and we've had the opportunity to, to deliver over 2 million sessions. So it's pretty exciting, and we're really, um, you know, now, now I think that we, we really are established in, as far as um, a service provider. Um, we're, we're really wanting to expand and educate, have conversations um, in the field and see, you know, see where the questions are and what we, what we can do as a company and what I can do as an individual to, you know, bridge some of the gap maybe in understanding. Um, but yeah, we just, I, I enjoy the opportunity to talk with colleagues, fellow SLPs um, about teletherapy and school-based services. So yeah, so I, we really appreciate the opportunity to talk today. Well, thank you for being here with me. And also, uh, I have down, tell me if this is correct, that you are an SLP yourself and the head of clinical standards and outreach for Presence Learning. I am, yes. So how long have you worked for Presence Learning? So I started as a therapist in 2013. So um, it has been six years since I joined. um, And then, so I was a therapist providing services for two years and then the last four years I've been on um, as an employee of presence learning so in a more supervisory um, role working with school districts overseeing services um, and now kind of in a even bigger umbrella position of um, you know getting to do a lot of outreach going to conferences talking um, and you know there's it's a, a pretty varied a varied role but yeah I've been with the company for a good chunk of our history so yeah, yeah and I mean I, I wrote down the number you said two million therapy sessions and 10 years yeah. of of doing teletherapy mm-hmm. that's incredible yeah yeah it is I mean you know in the grand scheme of things it seems like not a lot of time but for in the world of teletherapy it's it is it's been such a rapidly advancing field um, that even in the time that I've been doing it. There's been, you know, technology has improved and our product has improved so much. Um, and it's really just grown. I think awareness in our field, 
um, the, the questions I get and how I'm approached at conferences now is different than it was, say, five years ago. Um, so it's, it's really, it's exciting to see the, the growth and um, you know, what's happening in our field of teletherapy. And so you started doing teletherapy, you said, in 2013. Prior to that, mm-hmm. we'll backtrack yeah. a little bit. Yeah. Why, why did you become an SLP? How about that? Oh, wow. That's going way back. So, okay. yeah. So, yeah. So I've been, I am in my 20th year now, um, of going on to my 20th year of being an SLP. So I started really with, I was an undergrad in psychology. So, which I think is not, I think that's, I, I, I know a lot of colleagues, SLPs who started as, that was their beginning. That, that was one of mine, actually. So. Was it? Yeah. There, there was not a, where I went to school, there was not a communication disorders undergraduate program. So, um, so I really had very, wasn't even very aware of speech-language pathology until I took neuroscience, um, I think in my senior year of college. So I took a neuropsych, neuroscience class, and through that, learned about the centers of the brain and Broca's area and Wernicke's area and how language developed. And I just found, so academically, I just, I found it fascinating. Um, I really love that. So initially I thought I wanted to become a speech language pathologist and expected to work with adults. I really wanted to work in aphasia and working with, um, you know, in TBI and, and all things like that. So that's how I started in terms of school. And then somewhere along the line really discovered that I, my, I was leaning more toward working with kids and in the schools. Um, so that's, that's where I ended up. So I, yeah, after, after grad school, um, started in my local school district. So I'm here in Colorado. And so I, I was an onsite SLP um, and in some private practice for several years before joining Presence Learning. Wonderful. And I, I lived in Colorado Springs for several years. I miss, I miss Colorado and the mountains so much. Yeah. If we, if we have our way, we'll end up back that way. Um, and you're in the Denver area? Um, I'm in Fort Collins, so Fort like Collins, an hour okay. north. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> I had down Denver, and I'm not sure if that was accurate. <laughs> um, all right, so teletherapy, what, because um, you kind of jumped into the teletherapy world early on, I would say. In I did, and very, really kind of by accident. Um, okay. I was, I had stepped away from my district position, uh, just, just had some family circumstances where I really needed to have more flexibility in my schedule. Um, I was working in the district and commuting. I had a couple of mountain schools. So I was you know, driving an hour each way, about three times a week to get to and from. Um, and really, I was fortunate. Like I, I hear a lot of stories about horrific caseloads and all kinds of other circumstances for SLPs across the country. Um, I really had, you know, it was never outrageous. I think maybe I had maybe up to 70, 75 kiddos on my caseload at one point, um, three or four buildings, so pretty standard. So it it really was nothing about trying to get away from that. I just, I needed just personally at the time, I needed some flexibility. So um, I applied, it was very early on. Um, I didn't know anyone who was doing teletherapy but I thought, well, this is something that would be flexible. I could stay in my field, still keep working. Um, and so I applied to Presence Learning and they happened to have a need in Colorado. And at that time I only had a Colorado license. So 
I started with students and it, yeah, I was just really, really shocked at how, how much I loved it. And uh, I really just was hooked pretty early on and didn't go back. So <laughs> I was, I kept going with teletherapy and that's, that's where I've stayed. And so did, when you joined them, was that on a contract basis initially or just picked up a few patients? How does that work? So it depends on the company or if you're doing it independently. Um, presence learning, all of our providers are independent contractors. So everyone is, it's really up to you. We have, there's kind of a minimum number of hours we ask for. So I started out with about 10 hours a week um, and was given a caseload and then from there, because I realized I was really enjoying it, I wanted more, so I added on more time. Um, and so I think some some companies offer W-2 options, and certainly there's people who are out there doing it just on their own. They're they're just contracting directly with with schools or with individuals doing private pay um, and providing teletherapy that way. Okay. Well, um, I'll jump a little bit into that starting piece and doing an evaluation. Can you walk me through what that looks like as a, a from a therapist side of, you know, what, what platform do you all use? And mm -hmm. say, I have a five-year-old to bring you for an assessment. Yeah. How does this work? How does it work? Good question. So there's a lot of components. So to begin, there's, there's some fundamentals that need to be in place, obviously, to do teletherapy, um, of course, internet connection, computer. Um, and then you want to ensure that you're using a secure platform. So Presence Learning, we have our own platform um, that's proprietary. So it is, you know, developed by our brilliant engineers and product team. And, but it is, it's secure, it's HIPAA and perfect compliance. And so anything, any transmissions that go through our platform is secure. So if you're doing it independently, then those are, those are, as an SLP, as a teletherapist, is what is HIPAA perfect compliant. And so there's, there's various platforms out there that can be used. Um, usually, you want to have, make sure that you have a lot of, a lot of times, for instance, Zoom, I believe, um, there is a version, the free version, I don't believe has that layer of security, but there is, I think, a paid version. So that's usually how it works with some of the platforms, is there's, there's a paid version that has that layer of security. So that's something that you would want to research. Um, but beyond that, assuming you do have the secure connection, um, you know, having the headset, microphone, making sure that audio and the video are optimal. Um, you know, that's obviously really important, especially if you're doing an assessment with a student you're doing articulation you want to try to get an oral motor you know examination um you want to have the best picture quality that you can the best audio quality so the setting where the computer is set up on both the therapist side and on the student side is really important making sure lighting is appropriate um sound there's not a lot of noise in, in the background i mean really similar to if you're doing an in-person evaluation um you want to make sure you can really hear your students and you're hearing the speech sounds you know being able to discriminate between um those sounds so in terms of an actual evaluation it's very similar really um and again i mean i my experience is with the platform we have so we have presence learning has partnerships with 
publishers such as Pearson and WPS. So we have online versions of several assessments. And so it's the picture stimuli are exactly the same and they are able to be, you can bring them up in the, in the room. So they pop up on the screen for the students and then they oh, that's, that's nice so you're not holding yeah. a, a book to the screen <laughs> exactly yeah so and you know and so that's it's great to have because if, if you do have that online version then from the publishers you know there has been some some research behind that they have done equivalent equivalency studies oftentimes with these tests um versus you know if i just picked one of my assessments that i still have at home um, and did what you're suggesting, like holding up the picture stimulus, that would really have to be reported as a non-standard administration. Um, and then whether or not you could actually use the scores would be in question. So yeah, so we have the ability and um, certainly a lot of publishers are offering digital versions of protocols. Um, so, you know, we have therapists, for instance, we also, we right now Presence Learning has an exclusive contract to offer the Woodcock-Johnson. So our school psychologists are administering the Woodcock-Johnson and all the protocols are digital and they can download onto their iPads and use their stylus and fill in the protocol uh, right there on the iPad and then just save the digital form. So there's a lot of, a lot of things like that happening that really fit well into a teletherapy model if that is the service delivery that you're using. So, so that's the, the actual formal assessment, um, using the assessments that way in the platform, whatever chosen platform that you have. And then of course, the, the other piece of teletherapy is that there really needs to be somebody on the other side with the student. So, that was one of my follow-up questions because yeah. yeah. I'm wondering if I, I'm picturing some of my clients or my patients uh -huh. um, and wondering, I'm like, they would have to have someone on yeah. for the young kids. Yeah, have to have absolutely. someone on that other end. Mm -hmm. So we, you know, at, le at, the, at a minimum, we ask that there's somebody providing line of sight supervision of the student. So oftentimes that's all you need. Most kids, I mean, these are, these are digital natives that we're talking about. Um, that's a good term, not, digital native. Yeah. <laughs> it's not a big leap for the kids that we're working with these days to be talking to somebody on the computer. Um, but there are certainly some students do need a higher level of support. So there's that spectrum of support needed from that person on site. So anywhere from just supervising to actually sitting next to the student throughout the entire session. Um, sometimes for an assessment, for an evaluation, for instance, if we're evaluating a preschooler, there very well might need to be a paraprofessional or another, a speech aid, somebody sitting with a student, probably also having the headset on so that they can hear the SLP as well, um, helping to, just to make sure that, you know, it's going, it's going well. So, for instance, I've had four-year-olds who, um, you know, they have the mouse, but maybe developmentally they may not really understand how to use it if I'm giving the self-following directions subtest. Um, and so I can tell the student when I ask them to point to something or indicate something, they're taking their finger and like touching the computer screen, which mm -hmm. of course I can't see. <laughs> so, right. so in that case, you need to coordinate with the support person and, um, you know, first of all, talk with them about making sure they're not giving hints to the student and, you know, somehow interfering with their, what they're responding to, but conveying what their response is. So if that's mm -hmm. developmentally, if the 
child you are testing is just pointing to the screen like they would a test booklet if you were there in person, you just want to make sure that the parent understands you have, you have something worked out so that they can tell you what, what they're responding, what their response is. So now if you have a test, you mentioned the PLS or the self or um, those kind of assessments, are they adapted when they're adapted for the teletherapy electronic platform? Uh, what about the manipulatives or is that, is that so, aid helping you with that? Yeah. <laughs> what? So the PLS is actually one we don't give. Um, okay. I, I was involved at one point with, we, we, we did kind of a pilot study and because of the manipulatives, that is obviously a difficult one. So gotcha. um, on our end, we have the self preschool. So that's mm-hmm. the formal assessment that, you know, we are able, there is an online version of that. Um, and then, so that, you know, and I think that, as the field continues to grow, there probably will be more versions of assessments that we know or new versions, new tests coming along where they're just built for either in-person or online administration. And that will be part of the norming process. But um, yeah, for now, that is, the PLS is a perfect example of one that is not, Again, it could be given and scores could be reported informally, um, mm-hmm. not really scores, information. You can gather that Descriptive information. Descriptive info, right? Descriptive, right, but it wouldn't be part of the, the formal um, scoring process. So, um, yeah, so th- th- there's, as long as the support given by the paraprofessional does not impact the validity of the scores, then you know, a certain degree of support can be provided, um, but that's that's where you have to be careful that you know you're not you're not crossing the line into the paraprofessional guiding the student toward responses or something like that. If you if you are needing some help with that, I, I think that does sound similar though to when I do. I'm thinking of an assessment with uh, a parent in the room at a clinic that <laughs> I have to remind the parent, please don't re yeah. re <laughs> you know change how I said it or say it in a different way. <laughs> or, point and tell them you know what a ball is it's a ball <laughs> you know that kind of thing. <laughs> no 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 yeah <laughs> exactly very similar <laughs> that makes sense uh, all right so if I'm doing that assessment uh, this is this may be a silly question do some of the electronic formats I, th- this is a time-saving piece do they automatically tally the scores for you <laughs> any of them you know so not the digital t- test booklets themselves but there are like WPS um, and Pearson offer like Q Global from Pearson. Um, there are options where you can enter scores. I mean, this you know you can do this if you're administering a test on site mm-hmm. too. Yeah, if you absolutely. have a Q Global account, right? You can enter the scores and they create a, a pretty report to pr- a printout of the scores and you know figure out all the standard scores for you. So, so that's an option um, certainly, um, but it's it's not really tied to the fact that we're doing online administration of the test. It's just there, you know, that already exists and can be mm-hmm. you can used in conjunction. So yeah, so that's, that can be really nice. Uh, what you said presence learning is, is specifically in the schools? We are. So at this point, so early on when I first started with the company, we were doing some private pay, um, private services. So I actually did have a combination of mostly school-based services, but I was working with a couple of clients um, in their home. Um, we had we moved away from that at back that time really just to focus on developing the school 
service model. So yeah, we, we contract directly with school districts. All services are provided during the school day, just as you would, you know, schedules created just as if you were there on site. Um, and so it looks, really looks very similar. Um, it's one of the reasons that it's really important to us that we contract the, the therapists, the SLPs, we also provide OT services and behavioral mental health, um, that we're contracting with providers who have, have worked in the schools before. They have been there in person. They understand what schools look like, what teams look like, what an IEP team looks like. Um, and then, you know, understanding case management, understanding the difference between you know, doing an evaluation and determining whether someone qualifies to receive services in a private practice setting or a medical setting versus the schools and, and what that means to, you know, what to have that educational piece in there in terms of eligibility, um, how that's different. So, yeah, so that's, that's really important to us that our contractors have some of that background knowledge already um, before they start providing services virtually. And do you tend to serve, uh, I guess, is it a wide variety of schools? But I, my thought would be a lot of rural or those mountain towns that you mentioned, mm -hmm. school districts that utilize the teletherapy model. Uh, is that the case or is it something that's catching on in other districts as well? You know, it's such a mix. Um, I would say the rural districts is often where it's more likely that we will be the only service provider. We might be the only SLP hmm, in that okay. district. Um, but the shortages really are everywhere. Um, so it's a combination of, you know, we have districts in Alaska villages and where really geographically it's difficult to have for SLPs to get there. Um, we are also in metro huge cities where they just don't have enough. They have SLPs, but they can't keep up with the caseload. The, you know, the caseload size is just, they're trying to relieve that for their on-site SLPs and try to um, improve services for students and also um, just the, the workload for, for on-site SLPs as well. What's been your favorite part of doing teletherapy? So my favorite part is really... I, I think it's an incredible privilege to be able to reach students who are so far from where I live. And um, it, was, it was really eye-opening to go from working in my district here in Colorado. Um, and I really made a lot of assumptions that, you know, things are probably pretty much the same in other states, other districts. And it was really eye-opening to see actually that how much some, some districts and schools are really struggling to um, meet the needs of their students. Um, they, either because of shortages, funding, um, it can be different state to state because there are some very, you know, some regulations and services can look different. So I just, I really have enjoyed you know, being able to work with our school districts in Alaska and um, what does that, it, what does that look like? There's cultural considerations and, um, you know, just a lot of, a lot of factors that, that need to be considered um, so that we can best meet the needs of schools 
Um, and that might be very different from what, you know, a therapist who has always lived and worked in New York is suddenly working with students in Alaska or Nebraska. And there's, there's some, there can be some differences. And um, I've just, I've just really enjoyed that opportunity to, to meet and work with, with school districts across the country. And you brought to mind when you said state to state differences, state to state, um, that reminds me of a question I wanted to ask mm -hmm. on licensure. So if a therapist yeah. is providing services, how does licensure in the state work? Yes. Yeah. So that's obviously a, a really important piece. Um, at this point, ASHA, ASHA best practice guidelines are that you the therapist is licensed in the state where they sit as well as the state where the student the student is sitting so that that sometimes we have a therapist who come to us and they're retired from the schools and they want to travel or they want to visit their kids and grandkids in four different states and you know our, i mean they're independent contractors so we can't dictate, but our recommendation is that, well, I would go ahead and get licensed in those four states where your kids and grandkids are, then you're always, you're always covered. You know that even if you do travel, which you can do, um, as long as you still have a secure internet and all of the, the basics, um, but that, that is what ASHA recommends. Um, and then, of course, always, always licensed in the state where the child is sitting. Um, and so that is can be a challenge. We have therapists who hold anywhere from two to 11 or 12 state licenses, um, which can be, that can be a lot to maintain after a while <laughs> to have that many licenses. Um, but it also really gives them a lot of flexibility um, in terms of the time zone they want to work in. Some people, we have therapists on the East Coast who really enjoy working on the West Coast because they like to have a few hours in the morning um, and then they start working about 11 o'clock their time and they work into the early evening and that's the schedule that they like. So, yeah, it opens up some options, um, being able to cross license and work in different states. There is some action. Um, ASHA has an advocacy um, branch that is looking at an inter interstate pact. And so it's a licensure. Yeah, yeah. So that's exciting. Um, I I think there's a pretty big. I was reading on their on their website. Um, I believe in 2020 they're hoping that there's some actual legislation proposed and possibly passed um, within within some states. So or between some states. I was just two weekends ago was at the Oregon Speech Language Hearing Association conference, and there's that's one of the states, the OSHA. Um, is hoping to join um, that compact so um, at the state level. So that will certainly provide some relief to cross-licensure for certain states. Um, you know, there, there are some states that in addition to your state speech language, well, like Colorado, um, in addition to your state license, you have to have your Department of Ed license. Mm -hmm. So that, I, I'm not sure how that will work. Um, I, you know, you still could have the, the, the state compact between, for instance, maybe Colorado and Wyoming, but I would imagine you'd still have to have your DOE on top of that to provide school-based services in Colorado. So 
it would help with a portion of it. There, in some states, there's still maybe that extra layer, but it's, you know, certainly it's there's a lot of people really pushing for it um, because it does become it can become a barrier to services for students to have a lot. Of, some states are really really difficult to cross license into um, to the point of being almost impossible unless you are a resident of the state. Mm -hmm. And I'm, my husband is active duty military. And so for me, mm. I, I currently have three active licenses, uh -huh. one inactive, and uh, I can empathize with that part. And mm -hmm. I've talked, Michael, our other host, he's talked about how he's licensed because he's in Philly. So he's in a, you know, the state lines, he crosses right. over state lines. So he's licensed in multiple states. So I feel mm -hmm. like teletherapy, military, you know, living at yeah. state borders, that could really yeah. make a difference with the compact, hopefully. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and it's and I, it's interesting that I believe the field of PT, they already have some of this in place, and so they're a bit ahead of SLPs, and I'm not sure how that came to be, but, mm -hmm. um, and OT as well, so it's OT across, across disciplines, yeah. Nursing mm -hmm. as well has yeah. the compact. I think with all the traveling, yeah, traveling mm -hmm. nurses, traveling PTs, so. Yeah. yeah. There's traveling SLPs too. We gotta. I know. They're right. <laughs> well, um, I'll wrap up that part for evaluations uh, right now, Kristen. And okay. for everyone listening, this is Kristen Martinez from Presence Learning. Is PresenceLearning.com the best way to get in touch with you, or would you like to share any other contact in case someone has uh, follow up um, for you? Sure. Well, I am on, I'm on LinkedIn if anyone wants to connect with me that way, but yes, probably my email address, just uh, kristen.martinez at presencelearning.com. Uh, so that's a great way to get in touch with me. Great. And uh, so you will hear from Kristen next week as well, where we'll dive a little bit more into what an actual therapy session looks like uh, when you're doing teletherapy. Thanks, Kristen. All right. Great. Thank you. Welcome back to Speech Science, episode 95. Matt Hot joined by Michael McLeod. What's up, buddy? And Michelle Wintering. I missed hearing your what's up, buddy. I when you know. <laughs> That's right. I'm still... There's only one. There can only be one. I'm still a little nervous about teletherapy because I can barely run my cell phone at times that I would be terrified to run an entire therapy session. Says the guy who runs a podcast. Oh, this is different. That's this right. is different, but I... Uh, I have just pretend pretend it's a podcast. <laughs> right. Okay, that's you good. Do. I'll just pretend well, it's an interview. Welcome to Speech Therapy Episode One. I'm Matt and you're Jimmy. <laughs> that would that would, make, would love that, that would make you the greatest teletherapy. <laughs> you would take you would run the world, dude. Oh, that you would have be kids a lot of signing up just to see you. They'd be like, <laughs> why are we doing this? And the parents are like, Why are we paying you for this? Oh, this next... We're not paying you enough. Yeah, right? That's what I always say. This is coming out... <laughs> Mike, of a... have you thought about doing the teletherapy? Uh, I've done a little... practice? Uh, I, I, I've definitely done a little bit of it, uh, yeah. kind of, you know, here and there, but it's not my thing. Okay. Not my thing. I... Sorry, Matt. No, no, no. It's okay. I went... When I went to Kent State for leveling courses between my undergrad in radio and television and my master's in speech... There was a professor, I think her name was Susan Ann Johnson or Susan Grogan Johnson. And I think this was her. She was doing research on teletherapy almost 10 years ago. So 
Hey, I think and it's kind of cool. She's got a lot of research now. Right. <laughs> maybe I should reach decade. out to her. Yeah. Uh, maybe that's that's what I'll do during Thanksgiving break. All right. This next story coming out of the Language, Speech, and Hearing Services at Schools Journal over on the Asha Wire. Uh, they did a survey to look at how many school-based SLPs are doing push-in therapy, or they call it the inclusion model. Um, for those of you that are not familiar, it's where the SLP will work in the classroom with the teacher uh, to implement uh, language-based ideas to help the student and, of course, the other students around them. Uh, they found out that over half of the respondents served 1% to 25% of their caseload through an inclusion model, and it was mostly used for language and social skills. Uh, they found out that teacher collaboration and planning time are the two most frequently reported keys to inclusion success and were also two of the most frequently reported challenges to implementation. I am terrible at the push-in model. You also work with older students. That is true. You that know, middle true. And, and high school students. And I think inclusion is a little harder at that, at that level, just from the social perception of it, too. Mm-hmm. Because mm -hmm, mm -hmm. with the young kids, I felt that the when I was in the schools, um, doing that push in inclusion model, especially in a preschool, was was simple. We, I was one of the stations That's that they fair. rotated to, uh, and the vast majority of kids saw me anyway, so it didn't matter if another kid got a little language practice in there with me who wasn't on my caseload. Um, so that. And when you're young, there's less of a stigma with doing a pullout service or having having an adult sit by you for part of a class or something. Exactly. That was beautifully said. Uh, I think uh, really with that early intervention, three to five age group, uh, you can do pullout as much as you can. But with that age and their attention span and their ability to kind of just move around the room and, and focus uh, on tasks, there's really only so much you can do with uh, pullout. Uh, you really do at some point need to push in to kind of work on it in the natural environment. And they're so focused on their peers, so focused on their play, so focused on their routine. You being in the classroom is not going to make much of a difference. Yeah, I would say like when I worked with my high school students, I did do, I guess, I guess you could call it push in when I ran the social skills classroom one or two days a week. Uh, with a, another resource teacher, shout out to Connie Reckles, who I don't work with anymore. Uh, but I, you know what, though? I mean, like if I was trying to do push in during a history or a math class, a lot of times I'm sitting there waiting for the student to come across a term or a vocab word or language concept that they just don't understand. And then, you know, if it says that I need to work with the student for 35 or 45 minutes a week in the classroom, that 35 or 45 minutes a week may be great when they need it. And then the other weeks I'm just sitting there bothering the student asking that they understand the concept or worse if they're taking notes then I'm my time has been wasted of just sitting there looking at their notes to see if they've got anything. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, and I think it, it, it does just like everything depends on uh -huh. the kid and depends on their mm -hmm. goals because I also found, I don't know if you've seen this Matt with my completely strict Arctic kids, right? push-in wasn't the best option. They need it drill. They need it repetition. We need as many reps of that sound they're practicing as possible. So doing really short pullouts was a much better option than a longer inclusion model. Right. But that's for a strict Arctic kid. So I think ideally, ideal world, right? It, it won't be a 
a blanket rule of X number of minutes with all your kids in their classroom. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I would push back on something like that if that was a, a you know, a guideline given to me. I, I mean, yeah. inclusion serves its purpose. I'm just, I'm terrible yeah. at it. I no, fr- you're not. No, I freely admit I'm terrible at it. There are some SLPs I'll watch do inclusion mm-hmm. and like they have been doing it for so long that they can pick up the little things and just help the teacher along and, and target the therapy. Me, I, I, I don't know. I just don't have that little knack. I really don't. So when you say inclusion, you mean push in? Push in therapy. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Typically when I hear inclusion, it means like uh special needs population with uh typical population like uh mm-hmm. like like blended classroom yeah and then that's where mm-hmm. the therapy yeah. would take place as well okay well yeah i guess it kind of depends on the specific mm-hmm. situation yeah yeah it makes sense like michelle you were saying for the youngins for the older ones it's it's a little bit harder for me mm-hmm. at least yeah i know with the i want to say late elementary early middle school kids that i had and i'll shout out to my one clinical supervisor back in grad school connie forstrom because she had a great phonological training program and i implemented that in the school that i was in too where um i had enough kids in that classroom who were on my caseload and we could also anyone in that classroom could benefit from some extra phonological awareness training. So we did a, um, a multi-week program there, which nice. was cool. Mm-hmm. We want to know how you do it. How do you do it at home? Head over to the website, speechsciencepodcast.com or give us a phone call 614-681-1798. Email speechsciencepodcast at gmail.com or hashtag it SS pod or find us on the discord over in the Facebook group. This last study coming out of the, again, the language, speech, and hearing services in the schools. They looked at learning while playing a randomized trial of serious games as a tool for vocabulary or word mastery. Uh, they found out that the average part, the participants averaged five and a third hours of play during the treatment interval and mastered 124 words. Accuracy of definitions was between 55 and 59% uh, after treatment and 55% one month later. Guys, I love playing games and doing anything I can to make regular therapy less boring. Exactly. Yeah, and this was specifically, it says training vocab training on vocabulary.com. Mm-hmm. I'm not familiar with that website, but for a minimum of 20 minutes, four times per week. There you go for four week duration. I like it. I'm on vocabulary.com right now. It says it's the most intelligent way to improve vocabulary. Combines the world's smartest dictionary with an adaptive learning game that will have you mastering words in no time. You kind of go on there and you type in a list of words you want to learn or paste up to 100 pages of text. And then they start teaching you. I'm all for new vocabulary ways. Right now, the way I'm teaching vocabulary is through those newsella and newspaper articles, but mm-hmm. I could implement this kind of rather quickly into therapy and have no problem. So Anytime. on vocabulary.com, you can tailor it to specific vocab? Mm-hmm. Nice. Vocabulary.com. Vocabulary.com. I'm going to check that out right now. Actually, yeah, I'm playing this right now, sign in with Facebook. Sure, why not? I put in a word that I want to learn just so I could pull it up live on radio because this is how everything works. Huh. Okay. So start. Start learning with the spelling. Huh. So 
wants me to spell the word science, so I'll spell it. I got it correct. And now I get the challenge game. Many blank their bodies by inserting some black substance beneath the skin, which leaves an elevated cicatrix about a half an inch long. These are made in the form of stars and other figures of no particular beauty. Abhor, eradicate, acquit, or tattoo. A tattoo is a permanent design. Hey, I'm two for two on there this go. game. Go, okay. Matt. All go right, Matt. I'm going to use vocabulary.com and, and this article maybe in speech this week. I like it. That is really cool. Right? Why didn't I think of that? That's that's how you would be rich, Mike, if you thought of that. It's true, man. Oh, guys, I don't want to wrap this up, but let's send the whole show home. Tell me, guys, something that's fun happening next week. Halloween. Nope, that was last week when the show's airs. Oh, bummer. bummer. Okay, well, we're celebrating but Halloween. Yeah, you'll celebrate <laughs> Halloween. Mike, what's something exciting for you, not Halloween-related? Since you don't um, like it, um, I'm doing some some work at some of the schools I work at, so I'll be doing some teacher in-service trainings this week, uh, and that that'll be a lot of fun. Awesome for me, yeah, I'm with you, Michelle. I'll be taking the boys out for Halloween. One is Wreck-It Ralph, the other is Black Panther, and I still have to pick up my costume. We're recording this three days before Halloween. Huh, that's all I got. What uh, is your costume going to be again, you just said? I said, I don't know. I got to go pick it up and oh, find out. I've got okay. three days. We you wanna, can do it, man. I can do it. We want to We want to see your Halloween pictures. Send us the goofy stuff you uh, dressed up as at your clinic or in your school. You can do that at Tag speech. us. Yeah. Hashtag SSPod. We will put it on our Twitter account or our Instagram account. Also, speechsciencepodcast at gmail.com. Uh, find us on Patreon at patreon.com slash speech science podcast. We're on Discord. The link We're is everywhere below. Now. We are everywhere that you want us to be. 614-681-1798. If you text message us, we will respond and send it back via email text message. Thanks to Google. Also, make sure you rate and review us. If you give us five stars, that helps us be, find, be found by other people and also helps us uh, find advertisers so that we can sell you cool stuff without us doing it, right? Is that how advertising works? I don't know. We don't have any. Our intro music is Please Listen Carefully by Jazar. It's licensed under an attribution and share alike license. Our bump music is the County Fair Rock. Copyright John Deku at soundcloud.com slash dirt dog music. Our closing music is the slow burn by Kevin McLeod. It's licensed under a creative commons and attribution license in the immortal words of Janice Wright. Always be a willow. Don't be an oak. The oak will crack into storm. The willow will bend and return to form. Michelle, Mike, thank you guys for doing this. This is episode 95. We are closing in on 100 and I can't think of two other people. I'd be happy to celebrate with this than you two. Well, maybe my boys, but you two are a close second. I mean, one of them nice. jumped in as a co-host that tonight, is true. so we're good. And 60 episodes ago, my oldest was jumping in as a co-host, so times have changed, guys. Times have changed. Yes, Aww. they have. Uh, for Michelle Wintering, Michael McLeod, I'm Matt Hot. So long, everybody. So long. Bye, Matt.
This has been an Exceptional Podcast Network production. Speech Science is edited and produced by MWH Production. Please follow Speech Science on Twitter at SpeechSciencePC and like our page on Facebook. For more original podcasts, please visit ExceptionalEd.com and rate and subscribe to our podcast anywhere you get your podcasts.